right. At least somebody responds. <laughs> it's uh, great to be with you again. It's been a while uh, since I've been up here. And uh, pray for you guys. Um, and uh, have wondered what's going on. I heard there was a wedding. I, I was wondering about that. <laughs> and I figured it happened, but I hadn't heard anything. Uh, so appreciate you guys' prayers, too, and continued support of uh, ministry. I'll give you a brief update in terms of what the Lord has uh, got us doing um, and kind of the current circumstances. Um, it's been difficult to do what we do, kind of the bread and butter of our ministry, because that involves uh, travel overseas. And uh, starting in March, uh, kind of everything got shut down one, one at a time. We were scheduled. We had just come back. February, we came back from uh, Mexico, from a, a great ministry there, and I just saw the Lord work there, and were encouraged, and uh, came back, and we were scheduled again to be here in March, and then missions conferences in April, and then May, we were headed to the Philippines. Um, and, uh, well, in early March, I had met with a young man, uh, who I was discipling and working with in terms of uh, baptism. And, uh, well, apparently he had been exposed uh, to this disease that's going around. <laughs> and at that point, I became exposed. And so March and April, I was just sick. <laughs> I had been... I'd been uh, I'd been cutting trees one day. I came back home. It was a Saturday, a Thursday afternoon. I came back home. I'd taken time to take out some trees that day. And uh, I started having a fever. And I was sick for like the next six weeks. And uh, it, it was touch and go for a while. I never actually went up to the, uh, went into the hospital. Though my doctors were telling me, you need to go to the emergency room. And I was like, I don't want to go there. I'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, the Lord preserved my life uh, a lot. Of, I, was on, I was on the phone for three weeks straight with my doctor every day. It was kind of a weird thing. Um, and uh, so that was kind of March and April. And uh, my family never had any serious symptoms. Um, Pretty sure they all had it too, um, but that was everything was locked down, so we were kind of in quarantine anyhow. Um, so that was that was those two months was like just kind of get through this and and recover. And April uh, came back and started, you know, what what are we going to be able to do for ministry? And at that point, uh, May was our trip to the Philippines was scheduled and. Um, in April, Manila and the Philippines had shut down all airlines coming in. And so that wasn't a possibility. Our um, pastor, who's in Giwon, and um, the church there, they were under quarantine as well. And um, they weren't able to meet. In fact, they had a much stricter quarantine than we did. Uh, and many of these places do. Um, they weren't able to go even out of their houses uh, except to get supplies one day a week. Um, and they only had like a two-hour window to do that in. Uh, so it was very harsh for some of these places. 
And um, so that fell through, and then we just we started canceling trips um, through the year. Um, we had hoped that in November we could uh, do something in Mexico. Um, earlier on, Mexico was a little bit more open than some places. They hadn't been as hit as hard, especially in the western side of the state. And so we hoped maybe November, this coming November, we could do something. So we scheduled a ministry. But then came early September, we ended up uh, canceling that. Uh, and hopefully we, we rescheduled that for January. So it's been a crazy year. Um, in terms of our schedule, keep praying right now. Our desire is that in January we will go to Mexico and serve in Mexico, and then in February we'll be in Benin. Um, the clinic in Benin, they have had a number of cases, not a lot. Um, you remember Dr. Steve and family were quarantined, or and his wife and some of the staff were quarantined for a while having been exposed. One of our staff members came down with it and went through their quarantine and was fine. Um, but really, they haven't, they haven't faced a lot of uh, COVID. Uh, it's just been kind of life as normal uh, for them uh, with some, some restrictions. Uh, I was talking to my brother-in-law who's out there and been in. He says more people are dying because of the shutdown than are dying from COVID over there in, in Africa, at least in Benin. And, and part of the reason is because in his location, it's because they've shut down the border between Niger and Benin. And more people are dying trying to get over the border by, by dugout canoe. They're, they're, you know, the canoes are turning over and people are drowning. In, more people are drowning in the river than are dying from COVID in the country. Um, and it's, it's just a s sad situation. You, you don't, you know, I have no input in terms of what's best politically or socially or medically, but that's just, that's just the case, and uh, it's the case in, in a lot of the world. Um, so be praying for, be praying for them. Um, Dr. Steve and Kat are scheduled to come back in December. Um, and they're coming on a furlough, and it'll be an extended time. They're planning to be here for about a year or two years uh, to see how the clinic functions independently under national leadership. And during that time, we'll be planning an expansion of the ministry and building more buildings to uh, accommodate an OR and maternity. Um, and so you can be praying in that uh, direction, too. So... I'd say uh, the things to what we're doing at the office is kind of just keeping the, the lights on and the doors open and trying to do some uh, evangelistic projects that we've kind of set on the side uh, for a while, trying to m get some of our equipment maintained and ready for when we can, we can go. Um, so you can be praying for uh, the Boutresses, as they plan their, their coming back to the States, as they kind of wrap up the next couple months, are going to be very hectic for them as they try to transition that. Um, and, uh, and then for the, the clinic continuing under national care, uh, that's going to be a vital thing. Um, and uh, we have confidence in that, uh, but would want you to continue praying for just the Lord to supersede um, 
and have his way in that. Uh, our biggest concern uh, there is really not the medical. Our biggest concern is the spiritual leadership and direction that Dr. Steve has provided at the clinic. He has been the, he's not only been the, he's an incredible doctor, and Kat is an incredible nurse, but more importantly, it has been his spiritual care and mentorship of the staff. We have a staff of 21, um, and his mentorship of them has been what has been uh, the most crucial for the clinic. Um, the unity that has been there, the cohesiveness, the, the one-mindedness in terms of the, the clinic being there for the gospel, uh, be praying for those things as, as Steve and Kat take some time off. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, go to Second Peter, the second epistle, the epistle of Peter. We want to look at this morning just verse 1 and 2. I've been reading through Second Peter for a month or two now um, and just kind of uh, trying to get into it and, and be very familiar with it and I've started preaching through a number of passages, and um, and so Second Peter chapter one, verse two. I want to point our attention this morning to the beginning of this letter, and uh, Peter draws our attention to the preciousness of our Savior and really the preciousness of our faith uh, in Christ. Um, this is Second uh, Peter's second letter. He says that in chapter 3, verse 1 of Second Peter. This is the second letter I'm writing to you. Uh, we assume that First Peter is, is actually the first letter. There may have been other letters that Peter wrote. Um, and maybe there was another letter that we don't have uh, that is not part of the canon that Peter wrote to these believers. We're not sure, but it may be First Peter that he's referring to. And that, that, would, that would make sense. Um, Look at, look at your scriptures, and we'll read uh, verses 1 through 11 uh, this morning, and then we'll look at uh, verses 1 and 2. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of, of God and of Jesus our Lord. According to his divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and virtue. Whereby are given to us exceeding, and great, uh, exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be Come partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, give all diligence to add to your faith, uh, your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. 
For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, look at just the first verse, first and second verse, and we'll look into this. He says, Simon Peter, he just introduces himself as a writer. He says, an apostle, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained a like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word to us this morning. Father, as we open your word, we recognize it as the very words of the creator of the universe, the very words of the one who who gives us life and sustains our life, the very words of the one who we will spend eternity with someday. So, Father, let us give them the authority, these words the authority that they have as your words this morning. Father, use it to bless us, to give us insight into our Savior, and that he might receive the glory in whose name we pray. Amen. Peter introduces himself here just as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Um, He he doesn't give much introduction beyond that. uh, And that's really consistent with his introduction in 1 Peter. Uh, He's writing to um, believers who he does not himself identify um, you, you see them here, and he says, he's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. Peter doesn't give them any identity by geological location. He doesn't give them any identity by their social structure or status or, or uh, anything like that. He identifies them by their what? By their faith in Christ. He really identifies them by their faith in Christ. Faith here is really the controlling word in the opening sentence. He says that they have obtained a faith. That their faith is equal in value to that of the apostles. And that this faith is sourced and secured in the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And so really our objective this morning as we study this out, we want to understand what Peter says about this faith that formed the identity of these believers and really forms our identity today. If Peter were writing to us in similar fashion, he would identify us as what? Not the believers at Baker River, right? He doesn't identify them in that way. Not the believers who are, he doesn't even identify them as his children or his disciples. He doesn't identify them as Jewish people or Gentiles, which other writers do. He identifies them by what? By their faith in Jesus Christ. And so he would identify us too by our faith in Jesus Christ. As Peter as Peter talks about faith, he's, he's really talking 
about their subjective faith, um, that, that is their ability, their commitment to faith in Christ. Um, there's only one other use of the word faith in this passage, um, and that's in verse 5. And, and in that verse 2, it seems to fit the subjective, ca- uh, subjective case. So it's the gospel that they believed and the faith that transformed them that he is talking about. And of course, that gospel, that faith is inseparable from what we would call an objective faith or the objective truth of the gospel. Well, what does Peter say about their faith? Look look at your Bible. What does Peter say about their faith? Number one, he says to us that that he, he tells us about how they obtain their faith. He says they are those who have obtained a faith. They have obtained a faith. What does that mean? What does Peter, as he identifies them by their faith, he, he says, you have obtained a faith. What, what does he mean? Let's, let's look into that for a little bit. They have been granted this faith, is what Peter is saying. It is theirs not of be, because of any action on their part, but it has been granted to them by divine decree and divine grace. That's what Peter is saying when he says this. That you are those who have obtained a faith. This word obtained is only used three other times uh, in the New Testament. And we want to look at it to help us understand what Peter means. So what is its usage in the rest of the New Testament? So look at Luke chapter uh, 1. In Luke chapter 1 is the first use of the word. And in verse 9 where we are told uh, that Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist, he was serving in the temple, offering incense to the Lord at the time because he was chosen by lot. That's what uh, we are told there in Luke chapter 9. Zacharias was chosen by lot to do this service in the temple. Um, it was apparently the practice at the time of the priest. Uh, the priest would be assigned their duty at the temple by the casting of lots. Um, we would think of it maybe like the casting of dice, right? Any of you played games with dice where you have to roll? Um, I don't, any, anybody ever played Farkle? Yeah, okay, there's a few Farkle people. <laughs> That is the official game of GDM missions. Um, we, have, we have a doctor, one of our doctors, Dr. Chuck Hurlbert. He is a far, Farkle fanatic. <laughs> he brings it every trip. And in the airports, I, I can't tell you how many airports we've played Farkle in. You know, as we're waiting for our next flight or... At night, after the the ministries, the day's ministry is done, you know, sitting around the table playing Farkle together, um, I always play till I win big, and then I quit. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, I'm, I'm not as loyal as some of the other people. But the casting of the dice, right? And you know, whenever I, whenever you lose, it's because 
it's the dice. It's just what, what you were given, you know. But whenever you do good, you know, it's because you were brilliant in casting those <laughs> dice. That's how it is. Well, uh, that's, that's what we're talking about. Not Farkel, but kind of that idea, um, the casting of lots. And that was used, um, that was used in, in the Jewish setting to choose and to perceive God's direction in a thing. Um, and, and for the priest, as Zacharias, um, this was set back in David's day in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and 26, which we won't read. When David organized those who stood and served before the Lord, he organized them and he chose them by lot. And that tradition would continue until the day of Christ. And Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, when he was to go to the temple and serve and offer incense to the Lord, he was chosen and he was chosen by lot. Um, And that is the word, the Greek word, that is translated obtained here in first uh, in second peter chapter 1 the idea of to be chosen by lot um, so really that's that's the first instance that we see of this word used in in the new testament so zacharias we can say he was in the temple yes he was in t- the temple because of the rolling of dice he was chosen by lot but really it was what it was by divine appointment right it was divine uh, and that's, that's how it was seen. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So that, that was often a mechanism that was used in that day to determine God's leading. Our word is used again in John chapter 19, verse 24 where the soldiers in fulfillment of Psalm chapter 22, verse 18, would cast lots for Jesus' clothes. That was was predicted. The word shows up again in Acts chapter 1, the final time, Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, the Lord had ascended. The apostles, after the Lord ascended, the apostles' first impulse was to ensure a full complement of apostles. Why? Judas was now dead, right? There were now only 11. And um, Judas had betrayed the Lord. And they say um, that another must take his office. And this was predicted. This was, this was actually foretold. And they used scripture to do that. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 through 26 we see this event. And I'm going to read it here. It says, So one of the men who have accompanied us, uh, so one of the men who has accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken from us, one of these men must become witness of his resurrection. So that they, they say, well, we need one man to join and, and so we can have this full complement of 12 apostles, but he, there are requirements. What is one of the requirements? He must have been a man who was with us the whole time for Jesus, during Jesus' ministry with his apostles, starting with the baptism of John until his ascension. That's, that's the requirement. 
So and they put forward two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, and listen to this, Lord, you who knows the hearts of all, show which of us or which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry of apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place. So their prayer is what? Lord, lead us. Show us. Which of these two? And then what's the mechanism that the Lord uses to show them? What's the mechanism they use for the Lord to show them? In verse 26. And they cast lots for them and Matthias was chosen. And he was numbered among the eleven apostles. So it's clear that the apostles believed that God's choice would be made known to them through the casting of lots. This is kind of foreign to us, but this is how God worked and led in that day. And remember who's present. The author of our book here, Peter, is present at, at that time. So in all its usages, our word speaks of something that is given by divine decree and grace. And and Peter chooses to identify his readers as those who are possessors of a faith that originated outside of themselves, a faith that is sourced in the decree and, divine, uh, and, and grace of God. He says that their faith was not obtained through an effort or merit of their own, but it was gifted to them by divine choice. This is very similar to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, right? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says we have been begotten again. We have been born again. By who? By Jesus Christ. Here's an action again that is outside of ourselves. It is based in the person and grace and decree of God. So Peter identifies them as recipients of faith. He goes on to to define this faith. And they are those whose faith is equally precious. You see that in your Bible? He says their faith is equally precious as the disciples. It says, to them who have obtained like precious faith with us. The NASB says, a faith of the same kind as ours, as the apostles. The NIV says, uh, a faith as precious as ours. The ESV says, a faith that is equally precious. The original word translates the idea, and it has the idea of equality and value. So Peter is saying that their faith is incredible in value and this is your faith too it's incredible in value in other words it's precious 
but it is also equal to that of the apostles. Peter loves the word precious, usually often. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result to the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1, 18, he says, Knowing that you were not ransomed from your futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with, or that you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, right? The precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or, or spot. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. We are to come to him as a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. But uh, by which, that's by, by his own glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So this is a word that Peter likes to use. It's, our faith is precious. And their faith is precious. Why? Because they have received it as a gift. It is precious because of who gave it. Who's that? Jesus Christ. It is precious in light of the victory it gives in this life. Right? Why, why is our salvation precious? Because it's a gift. Because of who gave it. Jesus Christ. Because of the victory that it provides in this life. To Peter the gospel and the scriptures have all the answers for life and godliness. It is precious because of the sure and faithful hope of eternity. He qualifies and quantifies the preciousness of their faith by affirming that the faith that these believers had obtained was equal in value, equal in honor to the faith of the apostles themselves. That's what he's saying here. And think of that. Here is the apostle Peter, right? In human terms, he is the preeminent apostle. He's often the spokesman for the apostles. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was part of Christ's inner circle. He was there at the transfiguration. Christ himself commissioned Peter. He has clearly great influence in Jerusalem and here in Asia Minor. He's writing to people in Asia Minor. And Peter says to them, your faith, this faith that you have obtained is equal in standing, it is equal in honor, equal in value to our faith as the apostles. There's no difference. Isn't that an incredible statement? That, that's, that's a statement that is lost in our world, a statement that is corrupted, an idea that is corrupted, right? Because there's this idea that there are levels of faith, right? You have the saints, and the saint, sainty saints, <laughs> the, more, the most sanctified saints. 
you know, you have maybe a, a bishop or you have a pope. You know, and, and this idea of levels or iterations of faith is, is out there everywhere. But Peter says no. He says to these believers who, who likely didn't have a lot of scripture, who were babes in Christ, and just struggling in their town and in their city to live for Christ, he says to them, your faith, is equal in standing to our faith as apostles. Friends, that's incredible. In other words, we have no advantage over you. Now, we we know this. But what an incredible thought this would have been for these believers. He says pretty much the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, where he's talking about Christ and he says in verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. What is he saying there? He's saying we have seen him. We saw Christ. We were with him. You haven't seen him. But listen, we have no advantage over you. You can love him. You love him with the same love that we love him. We have the same faith in Christ. The apostles who were with Christ hold no advantage over us in terms of our faith or our love for Christ. We have the same faith, the same Holy Spirit, the same hope. Therefore, we can follow their example. We can live for Christ as they did. This faith that we obtained and is precious is sourced in the person of Jesus Christ. Look back, look back at, at 2 Peter there. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, through what? Through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So not only are they those who have obtained a faith, but their faith is defined as precious and equal in value and honor to that of the apostles. But they are those whose faith is based in the righteousness of Christ. Peter says they've obtained this faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. The the wording here would make many of us immediately think that Peter is focused here on imputed righteousness. And certainly Peter has this in mind, I think, as he writes about the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, right? Where we are made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. God takes, takes our sin and he puts it on Christ and he takes Christ's righteousness and he imputes it to our account. Certainly, Peter could have that in mind. Um, But really here, Peter 
speaks of the exchange between a sinner, uh, uh, or he speaks of the exchange between a sinner and Christ elsewhere. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that's of Jesus, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. The sinner's sin is laid wholly on Christ, who fully bore the wrath of God for that sin. And in the same moment, Christ's righteousness is accredited and imputed to the sinner so that the sinner gains a righteous standing before God on the merits of Christ alone. Of course, many other passages talk about this. Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 18. 2 Corinthians, as we mentioned already, chapter 5, verse 17 and 21. So Peter certainly has this in mind. When he tells us we have obtained a faith of equal standing with the apostles by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But I think Peter's primary point is the justice of Christ in granting us this faith. Peter's focus here is not so much on Christ's redemptive work as it is on Christ's ethical righteousness. The justice of Christ is what seems to be Peter's primary thought here. In other words, God's choice, God's allotment of faith and grace to them is consistent with the justice and righteousness of God. God is just, says Peter, to allot to those believers and to you and I a faith that is of equal in value and equal standing as the apostles themselves. He says this is consistent with the character of God. It is consistent with all that is right and true, even if we can't fully reason it out. Paul in Romans chapter 9 gives us a fuller expression of what Peter is stating here. Romans chapter 9, verse 14 through 24, if you have your Bible. Go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 9, verse 14 through 24. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he, hath, uh, whom he will. He will have mercy, and on whom he Will he hardeneth? Verse 19. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? But nay, O man, who are you to reply to God? 
Shall the thing form say to him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fixed for destruction? And that he hath made known the riches, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath before prepared for glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So Paul is, is saying kind of the same thing here in terms of God's choice. Paul says God's choice is right. God's saving of you is right and just. It's consistent with his personality. It's consistent with who he is. We are saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Finally this morning, Peter talks of the deity of Christ. Here we have one of the clearest statements on the deity of Christ in Scripture. Peter says, Jesus Christ is our God and Savior. Grammatically, there's a single article uh, that is used here. If, if Peter were talking about God the Father and Jesus Christ, he would use an article before both. But he uses one article for uh, this entire uh, phrase that he uses here. If, if two persons were intended, as we say, that there would be two articles used. But the singular um, article and the singular R indicates that both God and Savior are referring to the same person. Verse 2 is really the more usual expression, and it separates God and Jesus as two. If you look at verse 2, look at, look at verse 2 there. Um, let me get back to 1 Peter 1, verse 2, says... By uh, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here Peter acknowledges the two persons of the Godhead, God the Father and Jesus Christ. But in verse 1, he's addressing one person. It is through the righteousness of a God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as one person. He's saying here that that Jesus Christ, in no uncertain terms, is God. In chapter 3, verse 18, which is the last verse in the book, Peter, again, uses the same unmistakable reference uh, with the very same construction. He says there... But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, there's only one article. The very same construction that we see here in verse 1. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, Jesus, so Peter addresses the deity of Christ. So... As we look at this this morning, as we close, what an incredible 
truth that we have. And we're not trying to synthesize this with other passages of scripture as much as we're just taking it at face value of what Peter says. Peter says that these believers and you and I are identified by what? Our faith. That's what is our identity. That is what is most important. Everything else pales in, in, in comparison to our faith and who we are. That's where we stand. And we live in a world that is, is struggling and screaming and, and fighting about people's identity, right? What is our identity? What, what ought to be the identity that draws us together? And that is most important. It is our identity in Christ. He says that identity identifies them by this. And he says that identity has been given to you. It has been granted to you by the grace and decree of God. Incredible. You are a recipient. If you are a child of God this morning and you have faith in Christ, it is because God has decreed it and because he has given you divine grace. What an act of mercy. What an act of grace. And how, we, how he deserves our worship and love and service. Not only have we obtained this grace, but this, this faith is equal in standing to, that, to, to what? Equal in value to that faith of the apostles. That's, that's the level that we're on. That's incredible. And then it comes to us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, what a privilege we have in our faith in Jesus Christ. What an awesome salvation that we have before him. Look at verse, back in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, sorry. What, is, what does Peter want from us as we read this book? He says, He's a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained a like precious faith with us. Through the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Through what? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter wants us in all of this to know Christ. And the next few verses are going to be talking about that. About how we know Christ. When Peter talks about knowing Christ in this, in this book. He's talking about our relationship with Christ. An intimate relationship with Christ. And he's calling us to that. We have this wonderful salvation. Now he says, grow in your intimacy with Christ. And we just read in chapter 3 verse 18. Not only does he open with that in verse 2. But he closes with that idea in chapter 3 verse 18. But now grow in grace and in knowledge Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You have this precious faith. Now grow. In knowing Christ. In an intimate way.
Are you doing that? That's what we're called to do. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you this morning for your word, for this wonderful salvation that is ours. Thank you that this is your plan from eternity past. And thank you that your plans are always good and just. Even if we as finite human beings can't fathom all of this or understand it, Father, we're grateful that we, by your grace, can be recipients of this faith. We can have this hope. We can know our Savior, and we can know him intimately. Lord, help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.